Welcome to Voices of NCAJ. We're talking to members of the North Carolina Advocates for Justice about what it means to be a trial lawyer, what it takes to be great at the practice of law, and how being a part of NCAJ enriches their lives and careers. Produced and powered by Law Pods. Welcome, everyone, to Voices of NCAJ, the podcast for the North Carolina Advocates for Justice. I am Amber Nimix, your host and communications and marketing manager for NCAJ. I am so excited today to have not one, not two, but three awesome guests on the pod. They're here to talk about winning, specifically how they helped NCAJ achieve some key legislative goals during the 2023 long session of the North Carolina General Assembly. Joining me are NCAJ Executive Director Shannon Leskin, NCAJ lobbyist Philip Isley, and NCAJ Government Affairs Consultant Chris Nichols. Welcome, everyone. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. So I'm going to turn the hosting duties over to Shannon here in just a second. Before I do, I want to let everyone listening know where they can find out more about NCAJ's legislative efforts this year. NCAJ members can read an in-depth account of this year's legislative efforts in the 2023 NCAJ Legislative Report. The link to that was included in the most recent edition of our biweekly Community View e-newsletter. There's also lots of information in the quarter four edition of Trial Briefs, which is arriving in mailboxes in December and is available online at ncaj.com slash trialbriefs. For the TLDR crowd, we'll fill you in here at the top. Among the highlights of the 2023 legislative session for NCAJ were getting the minimum liability insurance limits raised for the first time in more than two decades. As part of this legislation, the underinsured motorist insurance credit was eliminated and medical providers claiming liens now have 60 days to produce records. And for our eminent domain practitioners, we supported legislation that ties right-of-way condemnation rates to the prime lending rate, guaranteeing a minimum rate of 5% and a maximum rate of 8%. NCAJ also did a lot of work protecting established laws by advising legislators against changing laws in ways that would negatively affect NCAJ members and their clients. Shannon, you had been acting as executive director for several months before you officially became ED in October 2022, but that left you with about three months before the 2023 legislative session kicked off in January, which is not that much time. Tell us, how did you put this effort together? Well, we did have to kind of hit the ground running, but that said, we had some of the key pieces in place before we got started. One key piece was a team of seasoned lobbyists, including several members of the EQV strategic team, Andy Munn, Misha Evans, and Kevin Wilkerson, and also Zane Stilwell of the Stilwell Group, and of course, our longtime lobbyist and member, Philip Isley. Philip, you've been representing NCHA's interests at the legislature for a very long time. How was this year different? Well, we actually were successful. Uh, which is one, you know. A good one. I think that uh, this year's session, unlike any other in the past, has been uh, remarkable in the fact that we were able to play defense on some really substantial matters, but we also had some incredible offensive victories where some of our ideas actually ended up becoming law with the insurance uh, bill in particular is one of the, the major victories we've had this year. And the fact that we did have some wins 
was not a normal feeling in the past lobbying sessions just because of how we've been perceived down at the General Assembly. And finally, people under your leadership, Shannon, have begun to understand how important it is to have these relationships throughout the entire membership organization, irrespective of political parties, to actually get things done that help the general public. So having you come on board was certainly very helpful in our efforts. And I really believe that's one of the main reasons we were successful. Oh, well, you're very kind. Thank you so much, Philip. I really appreciate that. For our podcast listeners, could you just really quickly tell them the difference between offense and defense, some of the people that might not be familiar with the legislature? So, uh, you know, offense is we want something to happen. Let's just use the insurance bill. Is it 452, I believe, as the change? We wanted to make sure that we got rid of the set off for the UIM insurance. And so that's something that we actually had a bill filed that said that's going to be removed. That's an offensive. We are in charge of the play. We are in charge of trying to get that done. Many things that happened to us over the past 12 years that I've been your lobbyist have been things that people are trying to do to us as lawyers, which is, you know, like the emergency room bills that were filed, the tort reform bills that were filed, you know, reducing the condemnation rate from 8% simple, you know, to a much lower level. And so we're fighting changing the status quo that would detrimentally affect the, our clients in a way that really is hurtful to them. So that's us playing defense, and it's it's certainly more fun playing offense, having the win, but we also had some really big defensive victories this year, too. This is certainly the best year I've ever had uh, with NCAJ, and I need to say this, too. I'm not the only lobbyist on the team. Uh, Kevin, Misha, Andy, Zane all plays phenomenal roles, as did Chris as sort of our wrangler and handler and <laughs> weekly uh, playbook gatherer and, you know, giving us our duties, but Truly, this was a, a, a great team effort, and I just it, it's been exciting for to see these things culminate and, and come to fruition. It must be exciting for you. You've been here so long, and we've been working so hard, and I know that everybody has done such a great job, and I just want to thank you, too, for everything you've done, Philip, and you are a pleasure to work with. <laughs> That's always a plus. In addition to our lobbyists, we have many, many committed members of NCAJ who have spent a lot of time building relationships with our legislators. Um, I just want to name a few. I want to thank John McCabe, David Henson, Kevin Bunn, and Stacey Miller for all the time and energy that they put into building relationships so that we can open doors and be able to get things done. And as I said, there are many, many other members who were so, so helpful. And bringing us all together, as we've heard, is our own Chris Nichols. He came on board a year ago, October, as the NCAJ Government Affairs Consultant. Chris is a longtime member of NCAJ and a past president. It's truly hard to explain everything that you did, Chris. I don't think I can put it into words. But if you had to write a job description for the NCAJ Government Affairs Consultant. Well, that is a great question, Shannon. Um, I think it would have to start out with like, do you love reading legislation at 2 a.m.? <laughs> if so, have we got a job for you? It is a multifaceted job. I mean, it, it's a really fun and fascinating job, and it's amazing because you get to work with you and Philip and the legislature and our other lobbyists and then, of course, our members. The way I've described it to a lot of people, kind of what I – at least what I did this last year is if you ever watch one of those FBI – 
TV shows, you've got the FBI team that's swinging in the windows, you know, and they're they're going on the commando raid. Well, that's Philip and the rest of the lobbyists. <laughs> and then you've got this person who's like behind the scenes, back at headquarters, behind a computer. He's like, go down the hallway to the left. Okay, now take a right. All right, hang on. I got to read this thing. That's me. You're the guy um, in the chair. He's the guy I, in the chair. I'm the guy in the chair, <laughs> right. And, and I'm still in the chair right now. So clearly I'm very good at this, but... Um, so, yeah, I mean, basically what I did is that as legislation was filed, I would read it, screen it, see if it affected NCAJ interests or not. Then we'd have a meeting each week. You and I would have a meeting. Then the whole lobby team, we would have a meeting. And I'd say, here are the things that I think, you know, affect our members and get the input from the lobby team. We'd kind of come up with a plan as to what we needed to do. And sometimes that was do nothing. And sometimes that was engage immediately. And then, you know, keep tracking it. So we have excellent software tracking. You also must love keyword searches. That would be part of the job description. And then as the session progressed, you know, sometimes we're moving on defense on things, sometimes we're moving on offense. Once in a while, I was asked to come in and essentially be like a content expert. You know, come down, there's a committee meeting, let's talk about insurance. And since that's my practice, that was pretty easy for me to do. And then, of course, there are things that I don't do all the time, like criminal law. And that's where we have, you know, Misha Evans, who practiced criminal law and is both a lobbyist and an expert. And then we have a group of amazing criminal practitioners from our section who would meet with me each week on a Zoom. And we would go through 50 bills or 20 bills and try to figure out, does something need to be done? If so, what? And then how are we going to go about doing that in conjunction with the lobby team? So I think one of the real interesting things about you and uniquely positioned is that you are a member and you know so many of the practice areas. And when there are questions that come up from members about what we're doing, you're able to answer them in real time. And I think that's something that was really helpful for this effort. I can remember a couple of times when we would see something and you would say, I can handle that. So, it makes it a lot easier mm-hmm. when you've been doing it for 28 years. You know, yeah. it's like my practice. And I mean, Philip also does this you practice too. too yeah. The, I mean, and president of the organization. Right. Yeah. Which helps. I mean, it's, I think it's really important. I think the hard part about doing government affairs work is knowing like where the lobbying meets the member expectations. And it's a lot easier when you've been a member and been, you know, part of the leadership to be able to say, okay, this is not going to bother our members. This is going to bother our members. And it's, you know, it's little quirky things too, like how long someone has to produce medical records that really no normal human being should know the answer to that, right. <laughs> but we do. <laughs> well, you were immensely helpful to me too in translating that um, back to me, things that I needed to pay attention to. And so it was a pleasure working with you and we texted each other 24-7, I think, at sometimes. <laughs> we did. I, I know both of our spouses were glad when the session was over that they to talk to us once in a while. So all of this success is really owed to the Advocacy Strategic Plan. The Board of Governors of NCAJ adopted it in January of 2021, and it's very unique to our organization. Philip, how did having the Strategic Plan and the Advocacy Funnel make a difference in NCAJ's lobbying efforts this year? Well, I think it was the single most important thing we've done in at least since I've been the lobbyist. And what it allowed us to do is really focus on the things that impacted our practice areas and stay away from some of the issues that make people crazy. And we have a lot of members, I mean, many, many, you know, thousands of members, and all of them have opinions. And when I first started doing this, we would take positions on things that had nothing to do with the practice of law, had nothing to do with the business of our legal practices. It didn't really have a difference between our clients we represented. These were more you know, social issues that people want to complain about, 
And it was hard because we dipped our toe into many, many issues that I think ended up hurting us sort of in the the fifth to eighth to ninth year that I was your lobbyist. We took positions on things that just made the people in charge bananas. And you lose a lot of credibility by doing that. And when you do have a good point to make or a good position to talk about in a committee meeting, it's really drowned out because you've taken a position on Amendment 1 back in 2005 or something else that was important to many people, but it just didn't really impact the, our practice. And so I think having the funnel, you have a set of defined rules that what actually is something that we need to advocate for, against, or be neutral on. And that creates sort of an expectation of the membership. Okay, well, that's, it actually helps the members appreciate the things that actually do matter in the practice of, our, of how we, we conduct ourselves and what we do for our clients. But it made us, um, I think, more pure in our goals, and it really got us back to our mission, our core mission, which is to protect people's rights. And that allowed us to sort of knock out some of the noise that we hear from time to time and I think made us more successful because if it got through the funnel, we knew it had been appropriately poked, prodded, kicked at, you know, questioned to where we were able as advocates, then better able to make sure that our points were taken more seriously. We had good ability, you know, through Chris and others to have talking points available. And once it went through the funnel, you also knew that there were some real life examples out there with clients or lawyer stories. And so that very quickly we were able to make sure and confirm that these were meaningful and not just some political idea that everybody has every every few years. Mm-hmm. So I think it was really important to keep the guardrails on, and it made our our ability to advocate for our clients so much more helpful. I think it kept us focused. Yes. Much shorter way. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but also I think it allowed members to be heard, and I think that's really important, that even if their issue didn't get through the funnel— they knew we listened to them. and it's, It didn't matter who you were if you had the idea either. Yeah, Whereas right. in the past, you know, depending right. on who you were, right. then that maybe got more play than others. So right. I, I do, it, it just, it's really, really helpful. I'm so thankful to leadership who started that. And it obviously, it was put into play, I guess, in 21 or 2021. Mm-hmm. But it felt like this was the year that it actually yeah. really mattered. To some reason, um, it kind of all gelled, yeah. I guess, really. Yeah. And if people got used to it. Yeah. You know, like we're, we're coming off the Thanksgiving holidays, we're recording this. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe every family should have like the funnel, funnel. for their Thanksgiving <laughs> table. Because yeah, right. it really, it has that effect of like, the question is, could we argue about this? Because we definitely could. Right. Should we? Should we? You right. know, and the answer is almost always no. no right. right. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most important pieces of legislation we helped through this year was Senate Bill 452. Chris, can you explain what this law does and how it helps NCAJ members and truly all drivers in the state of North Carolina? Absolutely. So, so Senate Bill 452 does a couple big things. The first thing it does is it increases the minimum in liability insurance limits in North Carolina. We are currently at 30000 per person, 60000 per accident, 25000 for property damage. And we've increased that to 50150 it puts us, you know, in a in a small group of states that adequately protect people with the minimum policy limits. So that's the biggest first part of that. Uh, that goes to into effect in policies issued on or after January first, twenty twenty five. So it's it took about fourteen months to be in effect, which is a about what you would expect in this kind of policy. The second thing we did is we eliminated the unfair UIM reduction for what liability paid. So. 
if you don't do this kind of law in North Carolina, if uh, someone hits you right now with a $30,000 policy and you're hurt and you have a million dollars in bills and you have $100,000 in UIM or underinsured insurance, you might think, well, I have 30000 from the other person and 100000 of my own, so I have $130,000 in insurance. You do not. You have $100,000 insurance. Your insurance company says, oh, that's very handy that someone else has $30,000. We're going to reduce your insurance by that, and now you get $100,000. So we got rid of that, and now you get what you pay for. You buy $100,000, you get $100,000. So that's, I think, a big help for consumers, you know, particularly in a time when Healthcare costs are up. Hospital bills are up. You know, these are all things that play into why is it expensive to be hurt. Those were kind of the two main prongs of that. Another one that's really important for people is that now medical providers have 60 days to provide medical records when requested by an attorney. If they don't do it within 60 days, they lose their right to claim a lien under NC 44-49 and 50, the, the Medical Lien Act doesn't mean they can't collect on their bills. It just means that if they want to use that particular law, they need to provide the records within 60 days. And that's actually what the current HIPAA laws say. They have 30 days. They can extend it to another 30 days. So it, it's just really good common sense. And we were very fortunate that we had our lobby team to be downtown and say, these are common sense things that help all people. It is not partisan. It's about helping the people in North Carolina. And Chris, I will just say, uh, to sort of add on to what he did to help us, when he came into the first committee meeting, he gave this example of, well, I have 100000 of UIM. And it, that your testimony in front of that committee was really helpful for the non-lawyer who, you know, absolutely is like, oh, gosh, that, that makes sense. And this person has gotten screwed. They're, they're not getting what they paid for. So I, his his presentation was really impactful in a packed room full of mostly our enemies, but he now did our friends. A, right, <laughs> but he did a phenomenal job, yeah. and thanks to Sarah Stevens for really shepherding that through too. Yeah, that's true. And she knew that from being in the trenches with it. I mean, every lawyer who practices what we practice has had that phone call when someone calls us and says, "You know, my wife, my cousin, my son has been killed in a car accident, and you know, how does the insurance work?" And we just have to break this terrible news to them. Or how does UIM work? And they're like, wait, I, th I thought I paid for that. And you're like, well, you did, but the insurance company didn't really tell you that they get to take it back from you. Yeah, the word credit, we, we talked a lot about the fact that it was a credit for the insurance company, not necessarily for the consumer. Right. It's, is, it's credit yeah. sounds kind of good. It sounds until great. Someone else is taking it from yeah, you. Yeah. Right, 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 right. But it's so important to be able to explain it to people who don't understand the law in ways that they can understand it. And Chris is brilliant at that. Well, you can tell too. I mean, he's, his, his advocacy skills as a lawyer really mm -hmm. helped at these committee hearings. Mm -hmm. And he does this, this work too. So that was very, very meaningful uh, to us as we were at a time when we really didn't think it was going to go anywhere. We thought we'd have it still alive for the short session. Yeah. And we were just sort of like checking boxes right. and making sure that we did what we needed to do to keep it alive. And then lo and behold, good things started happening. But Like get the stress off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, Chris, let's talk about some of the other things that you dealt with. You read over 300 bills. So maybe some of the non-criminal things or some of the other it's, stuff that you've... So, so 300 made crossover. Right. I mean, we read more like 1,200, actually, that kind of came in through the, you know, our our, our funnel of like, this is sort of NCAJ-ish and, and where do we go from there? I mean, you could really break down the bills 
for NCAJ, it's kind of like our sections and divisions. You know, there's there's ones that affect workers' comp, there's ones that affect disability advocacy, workers' comp, auto torts, criminal law. And for the most part, like if you look at criminal law, we play a lot of defense there. It's easy in every legislature in the United States to say, let's be tough on crime. You know, and, and we're not against that. We just want to be fair. I mean, we want to make sure that you're not punishing a low-level misdemeanor with something that, that should be a felony-level punishment, these kind of things. So we, we review those bills and we make sure that things are even and that we're getting input to the legislators. With workers' comp, we had some really complicated things happen uh, as a result of court cases. And that's another thing that happens to the legislature is our appellate courts make a decision and suddenly the legislature says, hey, wait a minute, we don't like that. Or we do like that. Yeah. Or we want to clarify yeah. that. And, you know, everybody goes crazy. So Philip was was masterful and kind of maneuvering to be heard and listened to and, and was incredibly respected by the leadership downtown on this work comp issue. And, you know, it's not your practice. It's not my practice. So we're dealing with really technical terms of art, but managed to kind of get it all through and, and, and get a fix that was satisfactory to everybody. Um, and with criminal defense, I think we managed to keep most everything on a sane level. Yeah, we did. You know? Yeah, yeah. And criminal good. stuff is tough. I mean, the DA's conference is... Very powerful. Very powerful. Very Sheriffs. Powerful. Very powerful. And so that's... And they have public sentiment on their side. They do. You know, uh, so. Especially in a weird time, weird time right yeah. now with yeah. lots of things that are happening. It's, it's, it is tough. But I, I mean, I feel like we did pretty well. I think, And having Misha on board, too, is certainly very helpful for us because she does this and can understand the parameters. And we have some members who are legislators who practice a ton of criminal law. Right. Absolutely. And that's also very helpful to us. And we, we leaned on those where we could. But many times winning the battle was remaining neutral and letting little tiny fixes happen or, or things removed that might make it less bad. And Chris and I would meet with the criminal folks once a week. So they knew what was going on in real time, which was a or it was Chris's idea. And it was critical, I think, to them understanding that we were in their court and doing everything we could do. But sometimes all you can do is make things less bad, less bad. Well, and, 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 and criminal law is so, I mean, even with a, even with a group of like eight criminal defense practitioners, sometimes they would say, I don't know anything about that. You know, oh, yeah. like someone who does white collar money laundering cases may have zero idea what's going on about, you know, license revocation issues. And so it was really good that even they kind of had specialties within yeah. specialties. You know, it's hard to go in and say when you've got a rip from the headline thing like fentanyl. Yes, we do need to regulate fentanyl, but we don't need to make it equivalent to crimes that are way disproportionately worse for someone who unintentionally passes on fentanyl. So, and, and I think what, what wound up coming out of that was a very fair law that kind of treated both sides, both victims and people who are being accused in a relatively even-handed way. I agree with you completely. And Chris and I had a lot, a lot of conversations after those calls because we don't do, well, he doesn't do criminal. And so it was fascinating to listen to them kind of parse the whole thing out. But that, this kind of dovetails into something I'm thinking about. When I think about this session, I think about the power of relationships and the relationships that we all established. We didn't know each other. We knew each other, but we had never worked together. The relationships that our members established with legislators who may or may not have the same ideological bents. Philip, what are we doing right in that realm? How can we and our membership build on this in the future? 
Well, I mean, relationships are the key to the game. And if you don't have good relationships down at the General Assembly, the likelihood of success is diminished considerably. There, we've always had members that are friendly with legislators. Most of the time, back in the past, it was in the party not in charge. You know, for the first time in a long time, we actually have members who are not in the same majority party sort of figuring out, hey, well, maybe if I'm nice to them and we, we build these relationships, good things will happen. And we're really fortunate that we have some very good practicing attorneys in the General Assembly. Representative Destin Hall, Senator Warren Daniel, Senator Danny Britt, Senator Buck Newton, Benton Sorry. I mean, these are people who actually practice law. And them, and, and, and they're also, many of them are young or freshmen. But building relationships with not only the lawyers in the General Assembly, but also the folks in charge of leadership based on you know where they live in North Carolina was really meaningful. And when we worked on this one workers' comp issue, I took Kevin Bunn down to one of the corner offices and we had some a pretty important meeting. And at the end of the meeting, another very, very important person walked out and Kevin got two or three minutes with this important person. And he challenged us to basically, you know, he basically said, I think you're right, but I'm not sure I agree with you. That's a turn. It yeah. was, and, yeah. you know, basically we ended up resolving our disputes and differences. But, you know, when we left that, Kevin's like, I just, I, Never would have guessed in a thousand years that I would have had this meeting on a Friday morning with these people. And it's because Kevin is a nice guy. He's so well-respected down there. He is everything comp-related. He has incredible relationships with Andy Ellen and the workers, I mean, the uh, retail merchants and the home builders. And he's just the guy. And they've developed, and they are antagonists to each other on many, many things. But they're also, they treat each other with respect and they fix problems that exist 99% out of 100. And this one was sort of an aberrant issue that ultimately got fixed. But Kevin's relationships down there, our members' relationships down there are so, so important. It, you know, even um, the lobbyists obviously matters, but y'all are the ones that are doing this for a living. Their constituents or our clients and having that, that ability to connect on the human level with these legislators that don't look at us as just you know, oh, these are the trial lawyers of, you know, 20 years ago and they're bad people and they don't like us. And, and we're not that way anymore. I mean, we we're acting like people want to be treated. Right. And, you know, right. I say this all the time and my other sort of job that I have that doesn't pay me anything. But people want to help out people that they like. They do. I mean, right. that's human nature. Right. And if they like you and you're respectful of them, even if you disagree, it just it's so meaningful to have that connection. And if right now we figure that out and I think it's, it's going to continue to pay off for us. It has paid off for us big time this past session, but as we move forward, as we get more and more engagement with our own members, speaker uh, Moore's potential announcement, he might run for Congress and representative Hall being the next speaker of the house. That's really helpful helpful for for us us, too. And he's 36 years old and he's a real lawyer and it's going to be fun to sort of see. He's absolutely a member of NCAJ. And so that's that's going to be helpful, too. So we'll see. You said something to me, oh, gosh, in the middle of it all, that something unique had happened this session, that legislators were asking our opinion. And that is a sea change for NCAJ. It never happened correct? before. It never happened before. I mean, so. we never got word or heads up that things were getting ready to happen to us. And that totally changed this year. I would say for the last two or three years, as we've begun to sort of become more aware that the folks that are in charge are going to probably still be in charge for a while and we need to 
make some changes and some tweaks here and there to how we, we message things. And that's begun to pay off considerably. Everything we did this year were just right. I mean, they're the normal things. They weren't a stretch. They weren't bad policy. It's really nice and easy when you have something that's right. I mean, the insurance fix was right. You know, raising our minimum limits. I mean, just duh. You know, I mean, $30,000 right. is your minimum. For, you can't buy a car for $30,000 anymore. Right. And that we heard that from legislators that we talked to that were typically not like pro trial lawyers. Those were the easy things. And so as we move forward, I do think we need to continue to focus on the things that make sense, that are easy to explain. And there are plenty of things out there. Then we can start trying to figure out some of these other other matters that are maybe a little bit harder to deal with. But I think the way we've come at these these issues have, has really been helpful. And it's been fun, uh, not as hard. Yeah. I think I said that in one yeah, of our times. Right. Y'all, are, y'all are more fun to work with than you ever have been, right? Well, we appreciate <laughs> right? that. You know, we could go on talking about this all afternoon. I think anybody listening to this podcast can hear how much enthusiasm we have for this. I think we really enjoyed what we did and working together. But I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you both, do you have any predictions for the short session that's coming up next year? What, what do you all think is going to happen? And we won't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I predict Philip will have an excellent prediction. <laughs> well, I hope it's short. Uh, sure. I hope it's That'd short. That would be good. Yes. Short is good. You know, it's an election year next year for our state. Mm-hmm. So it's a big election. We, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. We have some interesting uh, appellate races. We've got some. Obviously, everybody in the general assembly is going to run for re-election or run for an election. We've got the governor's race, all council state races. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this year moves forward. I should say this year, the next short, short session moves forward. My hope is that folks will get in, get out in two or three months, and it really will be budget tweaks, and we can sort of. Look to see who's filed. He'll be running in November of 24. What it looks like for the beginning of the long session in January 25. But to me, I think the short session is the time to plan and strategize. There may be a thing or two we want to try to accomplish. Maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I also believe that, you know, seeing who the next crop of legislature is going to be coming in in 25 is going to be really meaningful. But again, we've done really well. I think we continue to keep our heads down not go off course or, or be dragged into a fight we don't need to be involved in and good things are going to continue to happen. And we'll stay focused. Have anything else to add? I would just say that I agree with all the things that Philip said. I, I think that this last session was one of the three longest since 1972. So I think everybody's a little tired, well-deserved tired. I mean, everybody worked hard. The budget dominated it. And there were still a lot of bills that were kind of left hanging that, you know, other groups, not just NCAJ want. So I think we're going to be careful and keep watching those and make sure that they're not coming up in the short session if there's things we oppose. Um, and hopefully the elections will get them in and get them out and, you know, we'll kind of stay focused. And I think also while we're doing that within NCAJ, our membership is we're going to be getting our people out talking to legislators. I mean, we are trial lawyers. And I think the big shift that happened in a lot of people's minds was that we were looking at members of the legislature as opponents, you know, like, like, like opposing counsel. Well, they're not, they're our jurors. And once you started treating them like the jurors, then what we did made a whole lot more sense. I mean, nobody goes in and tries their case and says, jury, this is what you have to do. I mean, that this doesn't work. You have to personalize your client. Right. And that's what Philip did. I mean, he, made us real. 
and the rest of the team, of course. But I mean, that was behind it is that we're real people representing real people. Right. And we got to know them, a lot of them as real people. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and building those kinds of people-people relationships, I think, really was critical. So we tell stories. It's, we're we really good at doing stories. that. Yes, we do. So I want to thank both of you so much for taking time out of your really busy schedules to talk with us today and have this conversation. And for all you all did for the 2023 session, I can't thank you enough. We wouldn't be where we are without the two of you and, so, and the other lobbyists and the members, but you guys did an incredible job. I want to thank everyone who's listening and tuning in for your continued support of NCAJ and our advocacy efforts as we work for fair laws and a more level playing field for the citizens of North Carolina. That's what we do, and that's what we're going to continue to do. We hope each and every one of you have a wonderful, happy holiday season, and please tune in to Voices of NCAJ when we drop our next episode in January. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jen. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Amber. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Voices of NCAJ. For more information on the North Carolina Advocates for Justice and how to join or support NCAJ, please visit our website at www.ncaj.com.